You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I am your host, Timothy, and I'm here with my co-host, Allison. How are you doing tonight, Allison? Well, I'm happy that you're back and you sound more like yourself this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my hands are still numb and weird and my gait isn't right, but... You're back and you've started a new medicine that sounds like a Richie Blackmore side project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I keep telling myself that healing takes time. It does. To try to be patient. I did go out with Chad last weekend. We didn't go on any big hike. We went to a location that we've been working on for a while. But you can park right at the location, so I didn't have far to walk. But it was nice to get back out there. Next stop, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm hoping to work back up to... To Kilimanjaro. <laughs> well, it's longer hikes anyway. Yeah. On tonight's show, I'm going to be talking with Mike who shares these various experiences. It's kind of a lot of uh, what we would call maybe Class B Bigfoot stuff. Howls he's hearing in the woods and finding tree structures. And he tells this one story of I shine from multiple subjects. It's really, really interesting. It's the kind of Bigfoot story I love because he talks about the I shine, and he definitely th- thought it was I shine. There was not, no reflections mm-hmm. as far as he could tell. He could see blinking, presumed blinking, mm-hmm. as, you know, this is presumed eye shine. But he said every time it blinked, the color would change of the Ooh. eye glow. 
super interesting and that's the kind of woo bigfoot stuff that you know i'm here for it mm-hmm. and you'd rather that than scat any old day <laughs> oh yeah and mike's he's traveled all over the country and gotten the opportunity to, to look at these different structures in different places and stuff and he talks about the similarities of these structures and a lot of what he talks about i've observed as well the way these structures are kind of woven together and how well made they are that they just don't seem to be something that just fell together mm-hmm. like deadfall it's really interesting it's going to be a two-part episode. I talked to Mike for a really long time, so I'm just going to break it up into two parts. Tonight, we'll hear part one. Before we talk to Mike, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you for your support. If you like what we do, if you like the stories that we bring to you, and you'd like to hear more, the best way to support the show is to become our patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com strangefamiliars. Go ahead and check it out. There's all different tiers of support there. You can get bonus content, or you can go in at higher levels and get things like t-shirts, copies of my books, CDs, and more. Go ahead and check it out, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can make a one-time donation. Look in the show notes under any episode at strangefamiliars.com. You'll see a paypal.me link. You can click that and make a one-time donation. And of course, everyone can help by sharing the show on social media by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcatcher, YouTube, wherever it is, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you don't mind, leaving us those nice five-star reviews helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. Okay, let's go ahead and get to Mike's stories. All right, tonight we're talking with Mike, who has multiple experiences to share with us, and on the list was several Sasquatch experiences. We'll call them Sasquatch-like experiences, because I I know some of these are sort of Class B things, but I want to hear them all. Let's start with your experiences, and I know you've collected some from your your friends and family as well, but but let's start with your own experiences. Yeah, you bet. So I'd say the very first thing that I can... uh kind of quantify, and this was probably in hindsight, um, kind of looking back. Well, let me, let me take a step back. So while, while like many people growing up had kind of an interest in the unexplained and, you know, as a kid in elementary school, you know, gravitating towards, you know, check, going to the library, the school library or the public library or whatever, and go into the, the section where the spooky stories were and some of those other things. And, and of course in there was, was Sasquatch. So while I, I don't know that I was, um, a diehard believer when I was younger, I, I certainly was, was interested and, and, uh, but it was a, it was a very kind of a superficial campfire story, kind of an interest. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff was kind of looking back in hindsight about seven or eight years ago, I was kind of looking into this more when, when stuff was getting really prevalent online and, and more and more stuff was kind of getting posted that some, some surprising footage and, some stuff kind of beyond beyond the Patterson Gimlin kind of the the historic tropes of, of evidence or whatever you want to call that of alleged Bigfoot and Sasquatch um, sightings and evidence and all that good stuff. Hearing a couple people talk on the subject and interacting with a few of those two really started to make me evaluate some previous experiences that I had. Right. Um, because at the time it wasn't like holy cow, did you hear that Bigfoot or did you see that or, or whatever, you know? So it was just a lot of inexplicable stuff that in context and looking back in hindsight, 
I don't know what else it could have been. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of that, you know, deductive logic applied to some memories and some experiences that way. I mean, that so, happens a lot. People are, are out there in the, in the wilderness or in the woods or something and, and something yeah. happens. And at the time they don't associate it with Bigfoot in any way. They just like, wow, that was weird or that was scary or that, I don't know what that was. And years later, they'll they'll hear somebody else's stories and they'll it'll click for them. They'll go, "Oh, I yeah. I wonder." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the big kind of uh, moments was again several years ago. I remember uh, hearing I don't know it was probably like the you know the or an Ohio howl or something like that, and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I'm like, "Holy cow! I I know I've heard that." Mm-hmm. And that's this first experience that I could relate um, specifically. I think that there was some very kind of, I guess we'll call them class C or potential Bigfoot kind of things that dated before this, you know, when I was in the Boy Scouts and out camping and seeing weird structures in some odd areas and feel, feeling like I'm being watched and some of those kind of sensations. But uh, when I was in high school, so I grew up in Arizona, but during high school I moved up to northern Utah, uh, in an area called Cache Valley it was at a a time of year where the weather was probably not totally unlike it is now. There wasn't a whole lot of snow yet, but temperature wise, it it was, it was full blown winter. I think it was in November or something like that. Anyways, we were up this Canyon up on the North end of that Valley. uh, We being a group of, of high school chums and we were, somebody had brought up a generator. Somebody had a projector and we were doing the whole, you know, bring up your girlfriend or, the, the, the group of friends and we're going to watch a scary movie way back in the woods kind of thing, which, you know, to add to the effect. And, you know, as is usually the case with that, you could hardly hear anything. The generator was too loud. Right. You know, it, was, it wasn't very close to us or anything like that, but, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, it did, it did what it was meant to do. And everybody was snuggled a little tighter for warmth and for, you know, being scared in the woods and all that stuff. But I don't know, approaching midnight or so as the movie ended, maybe it was a little earlier than that. And again, this is at a time of year it's after hunting season. Nobody, nobody's up that far. It's too cold for kind of the leisure camp, the leisurely campers maybe. And it's, and it's a Canyon where it doesn't get a lot of camping traffic anyways, even though there's a ton of camp, primitive camping spots as you go further and further up this Canyon. And it eventually kind of terminates into kind of an old Jeep trail. And then it gets to the point where, you're only getting up there with a pack animal or, or on your own two feet. So we're not that far up. Anyways, movie ends. We're kind of milling about, you know, a couple of the girls are squealing and, and, and their boyfriends or whatever the boys are kind of spooking. And we're doing whatever. We're kind of just starting to pick our stuff up. And, and we were kind of up and away from where we parked. But when the generator got powered down, and it was about 50 yards away from us or whatever, it, had a, it did a huge, super loud backfire. And as I know you're, you and many of the listeners would be aware, you know, on a cold, especially when it's cold and it's nighttime, sound just carries crazy. It just, it goes, seems like it goes for miles and miles and miles. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that might as well have been an artillery cannon going off. Cause when that thing backfired, you could hear it, you know, kind of echoing up a couple of the adjacent canyons and all up the foothills. It felt like it went all the way up to the ridge line that was kind of above us that, as you get up to that kind of mountain ridge line up there, you know, you're approaching 10,000 feet. So if this is up in elevation, a lot of pine forests and oak and, and sycamore and that kind of stuff up there. And way up on an adjacent hill, kind of away from where the town was or whatever, but above us, and I would say, you know, 
distance wise, it was probably several hundred yards away and it, and it felt much higher up. But I'll tell you, um, the sound carried almost as much as the backfire itself was an absolute blood curdling kind of a, I wouldn't say blood curdling, but definitely a loud kind of a siren type howl. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things I've heard when other people have talked about hearing some of the, some of the types of vocal vocalizations on different podcasts, interviews and everything else is some of them have almost described a metallic quality to it. Oh yeah. Yep. And it absolutely had that. In fact, I remember saying that years and years and years ago being like, that was so weird because it, it wasn't like it was a, an amplified sound. It was way far away. There, there's no structures. There's no, you know, hunting cabins or anything. This was way up steep incline, several, several hundred yards away and above us. And it, and it went on for probably 15, 20 seconds. And, you know, and this was kind of, this kind of happened as, you know, some of the people had already kind of get, got down the, I don't know, 50 or a hundred yards down to where some of the cars were parked. And there was probably a group of, I'd say 20 to 25 of us up there. So it was kind of a staggered line of group of people. And I was with a couple guys, but we were kind of in the earlier group getting closer down the vehicles. And as soon as that happened, a bunch of the, the, you heard the girls scream and everything else and people are running down. What was that? Anyways, that was the, that was the first thing. And it was more of a hindsight thing. At first I was like, what in the world was that? You know, it right. wasn't a, um, it was just as long and it was very much like that Ohio how kind of a quality. There was an interesting kind of a dynamic to uh, kind of how the sound modulated that it, it almost sounded like metallic or almost you know, again, in context of later interviews, I've heard people saying almost like dual voice boxes going off at the same time, mm-hmm. like a train whistle kind of a thing almost, you know, it yeah. was just, it was it, just, but it, but I just remember just, just stopping and just being like, just everything went quiet and not that there was a lot, a lot of noise anyways out there. Crickets were, it was too cold for really anything to be out, but it just, it just changed the energy real quick. And, and again, it wasn't very close to us at all, but it was so the projection and the volume on it was just so big that it, it made my toes curl. You just heard the one howl that night. That's it. I mean, mm-hmm. and that, and it was an isolated thing. And, and I think maybe we kind of talked about it a little bit on the way home. Like oh, it was crazy. And I don't know, by the time the, the, it seemed like this was on a weekend or whatever. And by the time the next school week, I don't remember talking much about it. Maybe we did. I kind of forgot about it to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now and again, it would pop up in my memory of that weird sound. But again, it wasn't wasn't until years and years and years later. You know, this is a mid '90s, early '90s, yeah, early '90s. And so it wasn't until you know seven, eight years ago that I was like, I don't think that was, that wasn't just a happenstance thing. I think I, I know I have a better idea of what box to put that in now. Right. Yeah. And just when you say of, fifteen to twenty seconds, that was just one howl constantly that long. Started. Uh, low kind of went high and then kind of trailed off low again you know just that that is something with lung capacity to hold it doesn't sound like a lot but try to you you know if people at home listening maybe when nobody's around or something try to hold something for 15 or 20 seconds and and see it's not easy yeah i i have tried it and you're right (laughs) especially if you're trying to put volume behind it because that kills your your, you know you you gas out really quick yeah Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy to do. Yeah. 
And at this time, you said you'd been in scouts and so forth, so you were fairly familiar with with the kinds of sounds you normally hear out there, right? Spent a lot of time in the woods and 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 scouting around, and in those particular hills and woods. And I'd moved up there from Arizona um, a few years before, but as soon as I got up there, I mean, it was my formative years, and it was every waking moment I I was spending a lot of time out out in those in those areas and riding bikes up there and motorcycles and going up to this canyon and doing all this other stuff. And yeah, so I, I was familiar, you know, it certainly wasn't a coyote. It was way too big and deep mm-hmm. and no wolves in the area. And it didn't sound like a wolf anyways. It was just sounded like a, sounded like a giant thing with, with a big, big voice and big lungs and, and a deep, just, it just kind of penetrated, you know, it just, and, and then you heard it kind of echo through those canyons up there in that, on that cold kind of pre-winter night. I and mean, it was just, it was very, very uh, eerie. Yeah. And you had another experience in the same area. Yeah, close. So a couple canyons down. So in this particular stretch, the I'll try to not be too wordy on this stuff, but but the ridgeline runs kind of north to south. Um, it's part of what's called the Wasatch Front. It's kind of the western edge of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Um, terminate down into into Utah and Idaho and and kind of the Intermountain West. Um, you know, if Denver is on the east side, you know, Salt Lake and all that stuff, this is all north of that area is on the, on the west side of, the, of that broad span of Rockies. Okay. So this is running north to south. And so the canyons kind of run east to west, right? And we're on the west side of these canyons. So that if you're looking east, you're looking at mountains, just mm-hmm. a wall of mountains. And there's canyons going and draws and spurs going up into these mountains a couple canyons to the south going towards the main city, which is a college town called Logan in Cache Valley. Logan Canyon being the major canyon. There's another canyon called Green Canyon, which was kind of known, as I came to realize, for just kind of being a spooky canyon. One of the things that was unique about this particular canyon, it was an active place for people to go hiking and and mountain biking and and even driving up and doing a little bit of four-wheeling to get up to the higher reaches. But for most of the year, they closed this canyon off for snow. And way up at the top of the canyon is a watershed area where the local university, which has a, a large watershed study program, big agriculture school, they do a lot of work up there. And, and, and just as a subnote, since this time, up on the top of this particular canyon and a lot of these other canyons, they've now interconnected these canyons with some primitive but groomed hiking trails that are fantastic uh, up there but that network of those canyons always existed and so there's a a lot the concentration of sightings that happen in that valley of which there's several reported sightings they happen a lot in these interconnected canyons just for for context Mm -hmm. this canyon this was kind of a random thing i was playing a little bit of hooky with work I was managing some some crews that were that that would drive around and go out to some of these farm fields. We were working under one of the university studies for an invasive weed species that was killing off you know, some of the grain, feed, you know, like the the feed fields, and was actually kind of toxic to some of the livestock as well. So we were kind of like the supercharged weed spraying crew funded <laughs> by the university to go out and eradicate these these stands of these weeds. So, and I was managing a crew of these people and I was kind of playing hooky because I kind of got my crew, the different crews, five or six crews out set up and it was, I don't know, 11 o'clock, something like it was just before lunch, but I was like, I'm going to go drive this little four wheel drive 
work truck that I had, this tiny little Chevy truck and go all the way up to the top of the watershed. I'm going to go on a little day hike and, and slough off my uh, responsibilities for a little bit. And I get up there to where you can't drive anymore. And there's kind of a primitive trail crossed over a fence and, and went up that trail. And I was probably a mile and a half up the trail. Now this, I, I can't say it was Bigfoot or anything, but again, in hindsight, it's, it's one of those kind of potential infrasound, maybe circumstances where I was moving along at a good clip and I, you know, I wasn't running or anything, but I was, I was moving fast. I knew I didn't have a lot of time, but I just wanted to see how far I could go. And I was again, about a mile and a half up. And it was like, I hit an invisible wall. I just, I literally, I skid, I like skidded on the, on the trail. I didn't see anything. I didn't, I didn't hear anything. And note that I literally didn't hear anything for a second there. And I just froze completely, like almost paralysis, just kind of froze. You were on foot at this point? I was just on foot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of stopped and, and I don't know how long I was there. It felt like 20 minutes. It was probably closer to 20 seconds or maybe a little more than that, but I wasn't there very long and I was at a dead stop. It was one of those things where all of my senses just kind of perked up like something was very wrong. It was kind of those situations. I don't know if you've been in, in where if you've had that like really intense kind of your senses all firing at once and your eyes kind of start to water. And, oh, and yeah. you, mm-hmm. you almost can't blink. Your like eyes are locked open. And what was interesting was while at the same time, I realized that I couldn't hear anything, uh, birds, bugs, you know, this was kind of middle of this late spring, summer. It was up until that point, it sounded like the normal kind of a forest trail or whatever. But at that point, there was a little creek nearby. I could still hear that running. So it wasn't like my, my hearing stopped. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I could, and I also distinctly remember kind of hearing a, maybe a jet flying over, you know, somewhere way, way up in the distance. Um, so I could hear still ambient sound of other things that, but anything living <laughs> clammed up really quick. And I just, I remember being paused there for a second and it was just this very distinct impression that I had to leave and I had to leave now. And it was the fastest mile and a half run. I mean, I just kind of turned around about face and, was kind of walking really briskly. And then I was just, I was kind of in full panic. I felt like I was in danger, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I just went off at a dead sprint and who knows that, I mean, maybe that that could have been divine intervention, you know, telling me I was about to get hit by a mountain lion or fall off a cliff. Don't go any further. I don't know. Yeah. But, it, but the way that I was stunned like that, I've never, it's the only time I can, like I almost didn't have control for that short period of time. I was frozen there. I just, my muscles would not voluntarily move. I was locked. I don't know if it was the same thing, but uh, I, you know, I don't know if you've heard me talk about it. My chessboard experience one time, uh, very, very similar, except I couldn't run. I, I wanted to run <laughs> with all, all my heart. I wanted to run and I <clears> couldn't, <throat> my knees were locked. I was not being brave staying there. <laughs> I wanted to go. I literally couldn't. I, I was afraid I'd fall if I tried. Yeah, it's exactly. I've heard you describe that. It's exactly. What it, it reminded me of maybe the one or two times. I don't know if it was actual sleep paralysis, but being so paralyzed with fear as a little, little kid stuck in bed. Yeah. Being like, you know, so, so much that I couldn't even pull the sheets over my head kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was very much like that. And just 
a lockdown. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, it, you know, I'll say I wasn't being brave at the same time. I'd hiked there, you know, probably hundreds of times before. So there, there, I, I was not afraid to be there. I'm still not afraid to be there. I, I hike there often now by myself, but it was weird. It was really, really weird experience. Yeah, it was. And it was like a wall. Like I said, I mean, it, when it hit, it wasn't like I kind of staggered my step and came to a stop. It was like I whatever kind of position I was in at mid stride, I dead stopped Wow! and, you know, skid for six inches or whatever, just kind of skid on the, on the trail and just stopped where I was, you know, it was just like, like I hit the emergency brakes or something, but my body wouldn't move. And when I got back to the truck too, it's not like the fear left. I mean, my adrenaline was dumping at that point, but I was, I, I about wrecked that thing hauling down the rocky road getting out of that canyon until mm. I got, you know, lower down and I started to calm down a little bit because there was enough distance, you know, a couple miles down the canyon. But wow. But yeah, middle of the day couldn't have been couldn't have been a better day to go hiking, which was half the reason why I did. It was beautiful out. It was perfect weather. Didn't see anything, didn't hear anything beyond that. It was just very strange something. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not glad it happened to you but it is comforting to hear other people talk about the similar you know similar thing because i don't know still don't know what it was exactly like you said maybe it had nothing to do with bigfoot maybe it was something else entirely i don't know but it was a weird experience that's all i know who knows what it was but yeah some validation there i'm glad that was one of the things i because i've heard you talk about that and a couple other people on you know on other interviews and stuff like that too so uh, it's certainly interesting and I'll put it in that. I don't know if I put it in that same box, but I definitely put it on that side of the unexplained aisle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, I tend to as well, although, you know, I'd get a lot of pushback from, from folks like Soraya who's, you know, makes a good point of like, how do you know it's, it's related right. to Sasquatch. You didn't see a Sasquatch. Like, right. No, it's like, it's, I also relate it to like some of these stories were heard like on Sasquatch Chronicles or, or, or one of those where, you know, the guy's seeing deer come to his property and the deer is just standing there kind of trembling but can't move. Mm-hmm. I that deer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I related to that deer. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm assuming we're going in order on, on your list here. Yeah, we can and kind of cruise down. This is generally speaking, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of clip through these. There's several of them, but more or less chronological order. order. So um, as I shared with you previously, I, I travel a lot for work I have for many, many years. And while my work has nothing to do with being in forest or wilderness areas, a lot of times when I've traveled, I've, rather than kind of being a hotel hermit or being a happy hour type or anything like that, I'll usually find just for my own sanity, I try to find some you know, local trails or something like that, or a local rural area or something that's unique to cities all over the country. It's been a, I consider it a blessing to have seen really cool countryside and, and spots that, you know, going to Chicago, you know, for work, you know, that's not something you're thinking of. But if I'm driving out a ways and get out of the city, I mean, there's some amazing rural and, and kind of leading into wilderness areas that I've been able to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I toured the country with my band and didn't see anything but the uh, roof above whatever couch I was sleeping on that night. It's one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> That's right. Well, and, and in my early years of travel, I didn't do this a whole lot. So it was more just as I got older and burned out of that, that other kind of side of life of mm-hmm. business dinners and all that other stuff. Man, I'd just rather not see everybody that I already see all day on these business trips and just go do my own thing and 
kind of reca- recalibrate out in the in the woods or off grid for a little bit or something. But uh, absolutely, I worked for a company based out in Maine and uh, was traveling there there a lot for a few years. Um, this is several years later. This was actually only a few years ago. And for that same company, I would travel in multiple places around the country. But there, there's an area outside of Portland, Maine called Lake Sebago. Sebago. I think it's Sebago. It's a, it's a sizable lake. It's got a couple little resorts and a lot of people have lake property. And then there's a lot of closed off kind of preserve areas in there. And that, that would be an area where if I got in, you know, on a travel day, and my meetings weren't until the next day. Sometimes I'd be able to go out there for several hours, you know, and, and just go to some of these areas. And I would try to, at this point, you know, this is fast forward several years. And now I'm, I'm out kind of looking for some of these structures that I remember seeing when I was younger. So I guess mm-hmm. if I'm filling in the gaps, I didn't have Bigfoot on the brain or anything like that. And all these years from, you know, high school, college, and all the years after that, in the military even, um, with a few exceptions, you know, that um, – but I, I do, looking back, remember seeing some very odd structures in the woods, as well as seeing people's like primitive kind of like bushcraft type shelters. Right. I made some of those in the military, you know, there were at times doing some of the survival training that we did or whatever. And, and there's, there's a difference with some of these that you see. There's a difference with, um, at least in my experience, in bushcraft that I've done, bushcraft that I've seen made. And then some of these other ones too, that almost look like a heap of upturned logs with the root balls in the air and, and all these other things too. Some of them aren't very big, mm-hmm. but you get up close and you start looking at those things, the, the level of intricacy. And, and again, maybe this is not Bigfoot either. I don't think it's mother nature though. It's other nature of some sort. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. You know, so there, there's, there's something that's weaving. There, there's no way a, a windstorm or, or snowfall or, or snow load or something like that, the chances of seeing that, seeing this so consistently in so many places around the country of seeing these unique kind of A-frame tripod kind of structures, um, these X's way high up in the tree, you know, thousand pound logs that are, that are suspended with their root ball way up in the air in an area that does not have windstorms or hurricanes or anything like that mm-hmm. or tornadoes for that matter. And just seeing some of that stuff, you know, and just being like, what in the world, you know, it would look like a heavy lift helicopter. You know, these are areas where no wheeled or tracked vehicle can even get to. So maybe some heavy lift helicopter spent hours and <laughs> thousands of dollars of aviation fuel to, arrange this but why you know and, right and yeah yeah why in this remote area where nobody's at so anyways in maine i was seeing some of these kinds of things around this area and and i didn't go out there looking for bigfoot per se but i would go out to these trails and i would just keep my eyes open you know and one of the unique things in that general region so i had a, a friend that lived there that was kind of into some of the unexplained stuff too a little bit more on the paranormal side but but he's, he's a native from there. He knows the area very well. And what started to kind of happen was that every time I'd come to town, we'd make sure we'd link up and we'd kind of go and have a little short adventure somewhere. And I was usually looking to him to find some unique areas. I'd do a little bit of recon on Google earth or maps or whatever I could get my hands on. But, but there was a couple places that he knew of like where there's these remote old cemeteries, little family plot cemeteries mm-hmm. that were tucked away, you know, 
ones that had that had um, one of them we were in had, had headstones and stuff like that, like 16, 1700. So like way, way back colonial era kind of stuff. And in some of these areas, I, this is what led me to kind of looking around close to this lake was that we, in the trees surrounding these cemeteries, and I remember one cemetery in particular, it was kind of on the way from between Portland and this Lake Sebago that we went to. It's actually a beautiful, very quaint, it almost looked like the Shire. It had these little, I don't know if they were little mini mausoleums or something, but the grass berm had grown over them, kind of like something you'd see in Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. yeah. A little hobbit, a little hobbit mausoleum or a little <laughs> hobbit a crypt. But and it was a very peaceful, quaint. And I remember we were out there one time and I want to say it was like a, it was one of these unique, like a flower moon or something like that. You know, there was a unique moon out mm-hmm. and he pointed that out. I didn't know that going into it, but I remember as we kind of shined lights around it, we were in there in the moonlight and it was very peaceful. There's nothing scary or anything, but shining in the tree line surrounding this particular small little family plot cemetery near a, close to a small river. There were structures all over in the wood line surrounding like the whole perimeter of the cemetery. So, Fast forward, you know, a few visits later, and he tells me about this area, Lake Sebago. And he's like, hey, there's this trail that just opened up that used to be closed off back by these old far- this old farm property that now connects to this little hidden cove on the lake that you cut through the woods for a mile or a mile and a half or something like that. And he's like, we got to go check it out. I just heard from one of my local buddies that they just, they opened that back up and whatever. So... And it was just cool because nobody had been back there. It wasn't like some overused trail. And we went through there. And I remember feeling even very distinctive in a couple areas in this little stretch of woods going back to this hidden cove on Lake Sebago that there was an area that used to be like a little clear cut area. It looked like they'd put down some shorter power lines, you know, 40, 50 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. that had slowly been growing back in and right around that same area, once again, and he had no idea this was there. And this was back in the middle. It wasn't even near properties, really. It was a little plot of a much smaller plot of maybe 15 to 20 of these little headstones, this little cemetery plot. Some of them didn't have any writing or anything. It was just illegible. It was just headstone, like a marker. Mm-hmm. And in the daytime, when we first went, uh, it was it was eerie enough, not the cemetery, but just that area. In fact, I remember where that little clear-cut area was feeling like man there's something unique about here and like we definitely have to come back at night if we can if we can brave up to this so this this actually ties these next two together so in these areas i went back into kind of some surrounding areas and i would go there was like sebago lake state state park or a few of these areas and i would go off the trail and just kind of just cut across through the the, the bush and I would just find these odd structures. And again, logs too big for people to move. There's no, like I could barely get back there kind of, you know, bushwhacking. And you're just coming across in these areas and, and it would feel different. Not every time, but you get back to some of these and it would just start to feel really different. There are some of these structures. Mm-hmm. And I felt like um, a couple times I was able to hear movement nearby. And as soon as I'd kind of turn my head or my ears towards the sound or whatever, kind of stop. And this would be like in the middle of the day, 
and I was being very consciously trying to eliminate my imagination and just being like, okay, just listen to if you're actually hearing something, not if you think you're hearing something <laughs> for actual audible sound. And I was kind of getting paced out on either side of me. You know, I was like, as I walk, I kind of would turn around, you know, I went way deep. I found this one really large structure. I'd been kind of leapfrogging one structure and then I'd kind of walk back to another structure and it was uh, oh, another side note there. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I was hearing this weird. It was like, I almost knew I was getting close to a structure because crows would start freaking out. Oh, interesting. It was very consistent. And I didn't notice it at first, but like the third or fourth time, I'm like, why every time I start hearing the crows, it's like, that's an indicator that I'm getting close to where I, I must be getting close to one is kind of what I started to conclude. And I remember uh, on this one particular day, I got, you know, three or four deep on these large structures. And, and I'm talking, you know, these things would be, I mean, dozens of feet in circumference. Sometimes it would look like a giant asterisk, kind of almost like a giant web between trees suspended between trees. Or some of it would look like almost like maybe like kind of a beaver lodge almost, but woven, right? Right. And, and you'd kind of try to pull on it and stuff. And I don't know if that the weaving has to do something with like the structural integrity of it or whatever, because the thing was rock solid. I, like I could, 100%. But, that's how I kind of tell the difference, you know, most of the time between the accidental tree falls and right. what I think are these structures, whatever they are, because right. I've noticed that they're woven together and they're really kind of built well. You really have to try to pull them apart if you're going to tr do it that i i That's don't right. but i've, I've pulled out them. look they don't look like they're they're built well they're not symmetrical they're not how a person would visually build something right but but yeah they, it's like they're it's it's like a almost like a nest or a, a weaving weaving sounds makes it sound smaller it's like this interlocking of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of logs and large limbs and branches and even the small ones. And, uh, and again, a weird correlation that I'd hear a couple crows kind of sounding off. And what was interesting, I should note too, that you'd hear the little Tweety birds, you'd hear the small birds, the robins, the chickadees, whatever, the small things that were just your forest birds. And as you got closer, those, you, you kind of hear those, like you kind of went through like almost like bubbles, right? you'd leave the bubble where the little birds were that were just kind of the normal, happy little spring in the forest sounding birds. And they, you could still hear them, but they were kind of behind you. And then you went a little bit further away from it. And then you started hearing the crows go off and then you kind of, you know, and then I'd kind of scan around to be like, okay. Um, the other thing I would see that would kind of help me to find with some consistency and not just in single locations, but all over the country and kind of this, I guess kind of a leapfrog approach, if you can call it that, is I'd find these things that kind of looked like little blinds, you know, like little something that would be like a little screen that was enough that if something, even a person was hiding behind it, it would throw off any pattern you might recognize of something being behind it. But it still looked like underbrush until you got up next to it and you looked at it and kind of went and you saw that interweaving again. So anyways, I don't, I don't mean to yarn on. I know some people don't really care about structure. Oh, I'm completely fascinated about yeah. them. I, I, I could talk about them forever. Yeah, yeah. And, did did and, you uh, notice any sort of, like when you're following one to another, was there any sort of pattern or path or it seemed like there was a reason, like they were leaning towards something or leaning to each other? 
or were you just kind of randomly finding them? Um, that's a good question. So I credit this a little bit to my military training. So you do a lot of terrain analysis and you kind of learn like, you know, especially if you're kind of in a, a combat soldier kind of a situation where you're spending significant time, you're learning points like tactical advantage points, right? Mm-hmm. Points of egress, points of concealment. There's, there's, I won't bore you with military acronyms, but there's one where it's all about, it's kind of plays into that castle and moat theory, right? Is can, can you move while keeping something as a barrier between you and whatever you're kind of moving up on or away from? Okay. Um, or, or moving to observe, right? One of the unique kind of things that, um, that played into me really being like, I want to go out and check this out was I was listening to, listening to a couple different people and, and had some theories that, that talked about uh, if you're in an area with some elevation change and there's hilltops, don't look on the very tip top of the hill, but just off of the tip top of the hill, right? Right on the shoulder of the hill. It's it, in the military, you call it the military crest. And the reason why it has a tactical advantage, which by the way, is a tactic 100% borrowed from Native American uh, movement and guerrilla movement that right. way, guerrilla tactics, not guerrilla the ape. Right, um, <laughs> is that it allows you to have the advantage of of the uphill advantage, the advantage of elevation, but it allows you to not be skylining up on the crest of the hill. That makes a and, lot of sense. Yeah, and so if you're in some of these areas, the other thing too is getting a little bit more acquainted with kind of your leeward and wayward um, sides of where what gets more daytime shade. And what gets more data or more um, has the potential for more moisture and rain to kind of retain in those areas because it's in the sun less. It's like you go into those areas, those heavier shaded, more old growth areas, you get up towards the top of these hills and you start finding these, these concentrations of these structures that some of it almost looks like fencing where it's almost like it's corralling maybe deer or something like that to kind of point them in a certain corridor of travel animals, as you know, and I'm no, I'm no biologist or anything like that, but I've studied a lot of animal behavior. Animals, even ungulates out in the woods, they will take the path of least resistance. Sure. You know, unless they're trying to stay concealed or whatever. So if there's something in the way that they have to step over, they're going to, they're, they're less likely to step over it and they're just going to go to the right of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or what have you. And that'll kind of, that theme comes up a little bit later too with some of these things that I found in, in other places, but I'm taking this big circuitous route of all this stuff. But in Maine, in this area, by the time I got really far back, I, I was really locked in on this whole thing that was happening with the crows. I'm, I was literally off. I didn't cross any trail. I was dodging some little boggy areas, but there was several kind of creeks and this was kind of following one of the bigger creeks that I'm sure would swell up during rainier seasons and everything else too. But there was so much kind of area back in there. I mean, I probably was a full mile off of any kind of known trail, just cross country. And I got back to one and that's where I got, I I got back to one that, that at some point I was like, you know what, this feels a little uneasy, feels a little unwelcome. And that was when I kind of started noticing or started thinking I was hearing some stuff. Mm-hmm. Kept right on the edge of my hearing just kind of shuffle and I just at that point I was just like you know what um, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna press it you know if, if there is if there is if there is something to this and they're giving me a warning I want to I guess be respectful of that and I just kind of quietly turned and just went back out the way I came but but I could absolutely hear on both sides of me 
it would be like, you know, I'd walk and I think I was hearing something, but couldn't tell if it was my own footsteps and the noise I was making. But, but again, with enough consistency that I'd stop and you'd hear it keep going for a split second on either side of me, mm-hmm. you know, and by either side of me, I'd say, you know, a hundred yards away. It wasn't like right on top of me. Right. But it felt like I was kind of being watched. I was kind of being nudged out of there in the same area. And going back to that trail that had recently opened up that I was telling you about. So we went back at night. This was like a full month later than that time that we went to that other peaceful cemetery during the, I don't know what moon it was, right? The garden mm-hmm. or the flower moon or whatever. So there was, an, it was kind of another almost full moon, kind of a night, a little breezy out. It was perfect. And I want to say it was in a September or something like that. Well, me and my buddy, we start going back to this trail thinking like the whole idea was like, let's, let's go and be okay being spooked out, but let's see if we can make it all the way back to that hidden cove, which would probably look really cool. The full moon and out on this great big lake and everything else. About a half a mile of that mile and a half or so long trail is where that, that clear cut area was. And that little real small, very strange out of the nowhere little cemetery. Right. And on our way back in there, we went off the trail because as we were panning out of a powerful little handheld spotlight, we saw a structure that was about 50 yards into the woods off the trail that we went and checked out, my buddy and I. And while we were back there, we were looking at it and scanning around and, and we could hear kind of movement around us. Um, and we're like, let's go back on the trail and let's keep going. Well, going towards that little hidden cove, we could find it again which was basically just a small opening in the forest that went out to the beach, that beach on the lake kind of a thing. It wasn't anything like Goonies or anything like that. (laughs) And we barely got back on the trail and maybe went 50 to a hundred yards down the trail, approaching that clear cut area. And very similar to that strange experience I had when I was younger, where I froze, it wasn't like a slowdown and like, "Mm, I don't know if we should do this. I literally in the same motion as a step, I did kind of a, 180 degree turn and told my buddy, I'm like, yeah, we got to go and we got to go right now. Don't run, but we're not supposed to be going back here right now. It was very distinct. It wasn't as threatening, but it was uh, in terms of like, we're in imminent danger, Mm -hmm. but it was a very distinct feeling of you're not allowed to come back here right now. Kind of a thing. So we start going back and we're kind of, we're kind of doing the eighties, 1980s speed walk, you know, high elbows, high, (laughs) <laughs> looking like some uh, some suburban housewives walking our way out of there and um, the buddy who's with me um, he's like you just scared me to death and I'm like yeah I'm, I'm kind of scared right now and we I think we're we need to get back to at least the car so and the whole way we're hearing stuff on either side of us a lot of it mm-hmm. again doing the kind of the parallel much closer than I had heard during the daytime too but nothing we could see and we be honest with you, you know, we weren't really looking. <laughs> we right. were just going. Right. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. But this is where the, the story turns really unique. And this is, this is a, I'll call this a class A minus kind of a experience. Not, not a full class A, but I had a rental SUV. We got back the way um, on this trail, there's a little, a very small parking area. By that, I mean maybe two or three cars that could park up against kind of a chain, facing a chain link fence, which also kind of um, zigzagged to kind of create an entrance into the little, this little trail. I think they did that to kind of deter livestock or, or excuse me, deer or something like that, leaving the forest and going out into the farms and all that other stuff. Behind where we parked, there's the street we drove in on, which kind of dead-ended at this, and right behind that is a farm property. There's a single farmhouse. There's like a barn maybe 100 yards behind it. There's kind of fields on either side of it. Not a big farming operation, like a small, just a little small quaint country farm that was, people were living there. It was, it was occupied. Um, and then probably another 500 yards, maybe just, due to the on that same uh, along that same road we would we would drive on to leave out of there was the next farmhouse seemed like it had a lot more land or whatever but again kind of a quaint farmhouse with a kind of a steel barn out there where maybe they park their vehicles and equipment and a lot of other stuff both of those had mercury lights um, back on their barns so you had kind of a little bit of a backlighting to these properties but you know this is like 10 30 at night those people were asleep you know, or whatever, there's no house lights on or anything. Mm -hmm. And we get back in the car and I'm like, let's don't leave. Let's keep all the lights off. Let's roll down the windows and let's just listen. Because mind you, we were hearing movement all around us all the way back to the vehicle. And as we got back in the vehicle, the movement kind of stopped. The only thing we could hear, you could hear a little bit of the breeze, the breeze is blowing the tree branches a little bit. So you could hear kind of 
forest movement noises and stuff like that. But that was about it. And about 15 minutes into that, we were about to leave because it was just, it kind of got, it kind of died off. But we started hearing movement again while we were sitting in this car. Some of it sounded like it was in front of us, which would have been on the other side of that chain link fence. Um, but we could still hear it kind of around us. Um, and it started to kind of pick up again. And we just, we listened to it. And that's why we were sitting there. While we were sitting there, and, and we're just kind of, we're looking at each other, kind of whispering like, this is crazy. You can totally hear stuff moving around. You hear a twig break, a little small branch snap, some of these other things. Uh, where it got really cool, though, was if you can picture looking blindly just out in the dead dark, you can see a little bit of ambient light from kind of coming in through the moon, through the canopy, but very little a little bit of ambient light from the farmhouses that are, you know, several hundred yards behind us across the street and all that other stuff. But I notice as we're sitting there, um, if I'm looking forward and you have a rear view mirror, that's, you know, looking out the back of your vehicle, then you have your side rear view mirrors on either side. And I just, because I'm looking in that kind of general direction, I notice in the rear view side mirror of my side on the driver's side, I notice what I think looks like fireflies or something. Um, I, I just noticed a little glowing light at first and I, and I, and because it's in a rear view mirror, I really had to kind of focus on it for a second and I'm looking and then I'm like, Oh no, that's, I'm seeing eye shine because I saw it blink. And at first I only saw one. So what I saw it was a fire. I thought it was a firefly because I saw the one kind of an eye, but for people that have seen eye shine or even an animal or a cow or a deer or something at night, and you can kind of see when they're turning their head because goes from two, one eye to two, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So I saw all of a sudden the, the eyes turn and the eyes are just now looking like they're looking directly at the vehicle that we're in. And I'm telling the guy next to me, like, very carefully sneak over, like lean over the console without moving too much and see if you can see what I'm seeing. Cause I'm seeing a pair of eyes blinking. We're not casting any light, any of the light, from those farmhouses, that little bit of the light coming from those mercury lights ways back, that's behind whatever we're looking at. So mm-hmm. it, we couldn't see anything that it w- that would have been reflecting it, right? I say that because it was probably more of an eye glow than an eye shine or a right. reflection. You clearly see the blinking. Now, where it goes weird, and this I had a conversation with Wes about this a year or two ago, and he'd heard this, not a lot, but he'd heard this before, but where it turned weird was the eyes would blink and then it was almost like, I don't know for for you or any of the listeners that were like contact lenses. When you first put in your contact lens, you're kind of doing the rapid blink to set your contact lens in your eye, you know, until you kind of get your focus and your vision, you can, you're, you're clear eyed. It was like, it would do these rapid blinks, but the eye color would change. So the eye color shifted from a light Amber. It would kind of go pink, kind of orangish pink for a second and it went, went red. And it stayed red and then was blinking with red, with red eyes. Wow. And stayed that way for a little bit. And I'm, and at this point, you know, I'm like, is this, is this really happening? Tell my buddy, make sure I'm not crazy. Can you see this? He couldn't see it because of the angle. He couldn't see it out of his rear view mirror, but he could lean over like my chest and, you know, lean over the console and across the steering wheel and look through my rear view mirror and he could see it too. And it was kind of going back and forth with this. So, Rapid blink, change color, stay in the red. Rapid blink, kind of go back to the normal kind of white, white amber 
and more white than amber, but kind of more white type glow. And then what really threw or threw threw us through the loop was then it looked like it was turning its head and kind of swiveling its head around and kind of moving, but more or less staying in the same spot. Like didn't like it was moving its head and its body, but it wasn't moving its legs or anything. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's well, in the middle of this movement, much lower down, slightly smaller, slightly closer together, a second pair of eyes shows up. Looked like maybe an adolescent. If that was an adult or something, an older one, then this would have been a younger one, right? Uh, allegedly. And you could literally see, again, just watching the angle again, you could almost see like it was looking up behind it at the big one, kind of like for reassurance or you know, what are we doing or is everything okay? <laughs> it was very strange. I mean, that's very speculative, speculative to, to try to put those emotions in there, but it just seemed like it was looking to the other one for some kind of reassurance or just kind of double checking with it. And then it would try to do that blinking thing that the other one was doing and the eye color would start to change a little bit, but it wouldn't quite do it all the way and go immediately back to the white. Wow. While the other one was doing it, it, it was, again, if, if I was completely just imagining or if I tried to, I don't know, it almost looked, looked like it was toggling back and forth between its natural vision and maybe something more nocturnal vision, like a lot of animals that, that can see in the dark, right? Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was kind of toggling back and forth. I don't know what it could have been doing, but it was just very strange to watch it toggle between those two colors. And the other one start to kind of turn a little bit pinkish, but it was like it didn't quite know how to do it. And it would just, it was almost like it snapped back to the white amber. And then an even smaller and shorter pair of eyes shows up, smaller than the second one. So it was almost like there was two young ones. This one was really small. And just and it didn't do any of the color change. It just kind of sat there and you just saw it blink now and again and kind of look around. I couldn't see any. I'm looking at all of this through a small, you know, rear view mirror on a Dodge Durango rental SUV. <laughs> and I was trying for the life of me to see if I could see an outline or shape or anything of that nature. And at this point, I have this little handheld spotlight. And, I, and this has been going on now, uh, Tim, for about, I don't know, 15 minutes. So we're getting, this is just very consistent. This wasn't like a real quick thing. And I'm telling my buddy, I'm like, listen, I, I, I want to get to the point where I can, in one quick, swift movement, see if I can get out of the, if I can point my head back and my spotlight back there quick enough that maybe I can shine it and just get a quick look under the beam of the light and actually see what whatever it is we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. So as I'm kind of getting my mindset to do that, in my peripheral vision to my left, but far away by the, the second farmhouse that's probably 400 yards away, right? I notice now in my peripheral vision, so not in the rear view, but in my actual peripheral vision, I notice two more of these eyes show up much further away. But this is something that I can turn my head and look directly at, right? And I'm still staying completely in the shadow. We had all the lights off, obviously. And I'm looking out to the left, and though I can tell it's much further away, I can also see because of the mercury light of that other that other farmhouse that it was clearly in the middle of a small stand of pines that were it had like a circle drive, like a dirt circle drive leading up to the house. Mm-hmm. 
And this would have been further down away from the house against the circle drive. You know, it was like a, st a stand of, I don't know, 20 or so pines. And I could see these eyes. And while it was further away, you could tell that whatever this was, was much, much larger. At least the eyes were further apart. The eyes looked bigger, but just associating the distance with it, it had to have been bigger than any of the stuff that was going on behind us. So I know I'm dragging this out, but, but I finally, I'm, I'm watching this thing and it doesn't change colors at all. It doesn't even, you just see it blink every once in a great while it blinks. And this was a much easier shot. I'm like, listen, if I have the spotlight across my chest, I can literally just pull a little finger trigger on the spotlight. And if I'm just careful, I bet you I can, I can hit this beam right on that thing. I'm not having to turn around behind me and try to get these closer ones. And again, I confirmed it with the guy that was with me. I'm like, do you see the I was like, yeah, this is so crazy. I can't believe this is going on. So we finally, after about 20 minutes of watching now, four different of these subjects blinking at us, I finally go to pull the light and I get lined up. And sure enough, I turn on that light and it's I, I nail that, that little crop of trees. And as soon as I do that, those eyes are gone. And it's almost like something took a giant step backwards, but you could see like the pine bows kind of settle back into place. Oh, wow. They were moving. So it was like something stepped back into the trees. And, and then I couldn't see, I couldn't, it's like I could see legs or anything. Everything else was blocked. So anyways, that, that was probably the culmination of, of the closest thing to a true sighting, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, objects in uh, side mirrors are closer than they appear, or however the, the little thing goes. How, how far would you judge the ones that were behind you? Good question. I would say, pure guesstimate, maybe 75 yards behind us. What was hard was, now that we shine the light on that one, we didn't see the other ones, obviously, after that. Mm -hmm. But now I was full on getting out of the car and shining the light over there to see dimensionally or what the location was that to see what I was looking at. And the best that I could tell was that, you know, so the house was probably only about 40 yards behind us. And at first I thought these things might've been between us and the house. But what I noticed was that there was a hedgerow running down one side of the house and there was a gap between the hedge and the house. And then behind the house, another hundred yards and up a slight slope is that big barn. I think that they were behind that hedgerow, poking their heads or, or were between the house and the hedgerow mm -hmm. back, you know, where they were concealed, but they could see us. And as soon as they saw my light go on, I guess, we didn't see hide nor hair of them. But that, and, and again, that kind of validated about that 75 yards or so behind us is about where we saw them. Yeah. Like they, they had kind of come up from the woods behind the barn up to the house or something like that. Who knows? And we didn't see the big one either after that, but we stuck around for another 10 minutes and we didn't even hear the movement anymore. It was kind of like we, we spoiled the fun, the curiosity hmm. was done and we were like, all right, let's go. Well, I've definitely got the color changing eyes before uh, Jeremy from Texas who was on. We had a show called The Eyes of Bigfoot, I think. He described him changing like Christmas lights was his uh, description. Yep. It was between that amberish white and, and again, kind of a quick, quick pink, kind of an orange transition to red, which just kind of toggled between those two, you know, Amazing. and it wasn't blinking. It would last, you know, 10 seconds on one color and then it would shift and oh, it was very strange. 
So that was kind of a, a long-winded thing. But that whole area, again, lots of structures. That was kind of a culminating event. I'd had a few rocks thrown at me in different areas there, you know, not stuff falling out of a tree, like an actual pebble that would hit me on the shoulder or whatever. Hmm. So, so you've been hit by him. Oh yeah, yeah, a few times actually. Not not hit by a rock, but 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 hit by a pebble or had them kind of land real close to me. Mm-hmm. Had holes actually. In fact, that's kind of the next one on the list. But uh, uh, was just rock thrown. I think the closest and the biggest that ever came. Actually, this is one I did a video of. I, I kind of stopped doing it because it was a lot of work. That's another story. But there, I do have a youtube channel that i put a few things up and there was one time that i was with my nephew a very skeptical nephew who had a uh, an experience that i have on the, on the list that decided to go out with me and we found a bunch of interesting stuff and as we were getting deeper back to where we thought this kind of a higher activity area was i, I definitely had a rock that you can at least hear it i'm filming with my phone and you can hear this rock hit this log right in front of me. I, in fact, I even kind of edited the video to kind of, you know, point out the point where you could hear it just whack hit, hit this log in front of me. Huh. That was an American Fork Canyon in Utah. And we found some very interesting stuff. Again, that other people can look at video and kind of see, we do a really good example of that leapfrogging thing I was talking about where you see one small structure and kind of pan around so you see another possible structure, you get just kind of zigzag back and forth until, and pretty soon it seems like you can kind of almost follow, there's no discernible trail, but kind of a, an area of movement or, or the path that they took or whatever, mm-hmm. the corridor that they took, if there's truth to that, you know, it's all speculation, obviously. For sure, but, yeah, yeah. But very interesting. Well, what uh, you said about the, the structures being on kind of the shoulder of the hill, you know, I'm thinking every... Well, I'm not gonna say every, almost every place I've found them. That actually is true. Yeah, I'm thinking like we we found a bunch in Harry Springs, uh, and it's not at the top of the of the mountain. It's right off to the side. Yep. A few other places I know very similar. Uh, in in Michaud, I found first time I ever went there. I found a, a a massive structure. It's on the side of a mountain, and you know, as I said at the time, you you were saying helicopter. I was saying like. Yeah, you know, I want to meet the work crew with with the uh, extension ladders that came up on the side of the mountain just to build this, you know, what, what, whatever it is. The exception, I think, is every now and then I'll find one right beside a trail, like right yeah. there. So I, you know, what? There's two things on that. So I want to come back because there was something I forgot to put in the list that sure. uh, more is just Pennsylvania related that I think you'd appreciate. But uh, but you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, and there's one of my. I guess in the, I guess you can call it the Bigfoot community. I don't know that I belong to the community, but certainly one of my friends that I really, really like. And this guy, he, he keeps himself pretty anonymous, super credible. He's had incredible experiences and he does, he sends me stuff all the time. And he's got some incredible things that I'm, I bet you, and I'll, I'll ask him, but I, I'll have him send to you to, to share because he's had some absolutely incredible things he's found. And he's, very well versed in the woods, but he just sent it, sent me the other day something that's been a running theory, I guess, complete theory of a lot of people that there is some of these structures. I absolutely think that there's a very credible reason why they would be right on the side of the road. One of the best ones, and I'll make sure I send you over email, one of the best um, little arrangement of these little structures that I found was was right on the side of the road that to me looked like a perfect area 
to observe the road. And also right across from this was a small little primitive campsite. Hmm. So it would keep them on the other side, or it could be a place of concealment that they could hide before maybe they're crossing. Maybe it's a busier road, you know, if it's like a highway or something like that Mm -hmm. trail. So I, obviously there's some of these things that are naturally occurring, just logs falling the right way, branches falling the right way. But I absolutely think that there's markers near trails that are, that have to mean something to them, you know, could mean a corridor of travel. It could be pointing to water. It could be pointing to safe haven. Who knows? Yeah. That's, that's the thing. You know, we, we have no hot springs, whatever it is, right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it could be anything, but, I gave you a long list that I won't recite now of, of all these states where I found stuff, but I have actually, um, so we used to do our holidays. My wife's from New Jersey and her grandparents and her sister lived across the Delaware gap over in the Poconos in the Bushkill area. Okay. And we used to, um, we used to go over and do the holidays there. And there was a few times there back near Bushkill falls in some of those gated communities that are absolutely out in the woods. Maybe not anymore, but they were, that I found, again, right off of the hilltop um, around what, again, what is referred to as that military crest, I found some very strange structures right there in your home state too. So for whatever, you know, I had figured that. Yeah. Right? So. so in your tra- in your travels, as, you, as you're looking at these different structures, do you find they're constructed similarly? Yes. Yes and no. So I think that there's probably enough. Well, let me say this. There's enough consistency with, where it's consistent is the the strength mm-hmm. and the the rigidness and the, the like the structural integrity like these things it's like there's some that seem like they're meant to last right mm-hmm. oh yeah but they're very intricate and in some cases again if if I let my speculation go let's say for a minute for the sake of argument that they're moving in family groups and that would mean young ones are around. And if they're kind of milling about a certain area, maybe that's not where they live, but if they're kind of staging out of a certain area for some foraging or maybe some hunting or something, and the little ones are kind of being watched, it's almost like the little, it's like I've come across areas where maybe the little ones are bored and they're learning how to do this stuff. Cause you'll see some really small ones. Mm-hmm. That's not Bigfoot at all. Maybe we're talking face stuff. I, I don't know, but but there's some really small ones that you'll see that, that it's like almost like if you were sitting there bored and, you know, you're twiddling your thumbs and you start to weave this really intricate, again, very asymmetrical. It doesn't look like something people would make, but it's way stronger and, and it's way more intricate than just the weaving. There's just no natural way that this stuff would happen on its own. Like a, or yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I've, more often than not, there's a living tree bent in with dead trees and branches. And it, it's really interesting the way they're formed. I'd say another consistent thing is in areas that I've been that were definitely higher elevation. I don't know what, why that factor plays in other than maybe that is more remote. But some of the biggest structures that I've seen, another one I think I forgot to list, not far outside of Park City, Utah, I randomly went off a trail that I went back to this area multiple times with other people too. One of them was a better known, fairly controversial YouTube Bigfoot guy. Um, who's actually a friend of mine, but we went back and found massive, massive struck, like thousand and 2000 pound, like logs, trees that were still 30, 40 feet long arranged and suspended between trees in a way 
that again w- could only be done with industrial heavy equipment. Mm-hmm. None of which could have accessed these places were a total, like a, like we were breathing so hard to get up to these areas. You know, these weren't, there was no trail. It was just an area that there was no practical reason for any person to go up, nor would there be any means for them to do it. Um, Saw some other very large ones in Colorado, uh, not far from Estes and Rocky mountain national park near, and also down further South near uh, Evergreen, Colorado. Some of these areas, up, you get up into those six and 7,000 feet and it's like all of a sudden the structures get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm talking big, almost like the logs you would see in like a washout area or a flooding area, you know, just huge. But this is away from any flooding areas. This is way up on on a you know mountainside effectively. Hmm. So lots of consistency that way. Um, and some of the shapes, a lot of tripods, seems like the X's might be universal. I don't know. Um, you see a lot of those yeah. uh, in different areas. The, the tree arches. What's unique about this is, uh, and this, I'll kind of use this as a segue to some Arizona stuff. So that's where I live now. It's where I'm from originally. A lot of people on other podcasts have talked about the Mogollon Rim. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that goes on the Mogollon Rim. And I spent my whole childhood scout camping, family camping, hiking, you know, scouting for elk. It's a, it's a really cool area. It's technically high desert or it's out of the desert. It's up in the pines, but it's, you know, it's, it's a very, it hosts a lot of wildlife. There's deer, there's javelina, there's a lot of small game. And then we have, you know, one of the largest elk herds in the United States kind of traverses right through that whole Mogollon rim area between the Grand Canyon all the way down into east northeastern Arizona into the White Mountains, which is some of our most wild country. So there's there's plenty of game sources. There's also a lot of springs up there. You know, this is the West, and the West doesn't have a lot of water sources in general. It's a lot fewer and farther between, but enough springs. Um, and you can if you can find some of these springs that are on some Forest Service maps and some some specialized maps you can usually find a lot of signs near those areas away from any roads. Um, sometimes you're hiking completely back in these box canyons for miles uh, and hours away from any known trail or any roads. You're very remote. But in one area that I had scouted out, this was the first time that I was going out to actually like film, like record. And I do have video of this of like, I'm going to go, look for some stuff. And I had a number of things happen on this very remote area that I went to. And I specifically went at this time of the year because in this area, because there hadn't been any recent um, brush fires, which are a big thing out here you have to watch for, or at least be looking for to kind of go to areas that haven't been burned out. It was right as the elk were at their most active before the rut season. And it was also an area where um, some of the deepest kind of these canyons up on the rim, which is a big plateau. The Mogollon Rim is the southwestern edge of the giant topographical feature known as the Colorado Plateau. So it's literally once you get up on the rim from there, going up into Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, the Four Corners area, it's like once you hit that, all the elevation just jumps, right? So it's, it's... that's why it can host um, pine forests, big ponderosa pine forests up there and those types of things. And it's also why 
Um, there's, there are enough water sources up in those areas. That's why it also hosts these huge herd of elk all through there. So a number of things happened. While I'm filming, I walk up in the middle of, I'm completely off a trail. I, I went to a campsite that my nephews were going to come meet me at. And this is the first time we're like, let's go see if we can, let's go see if we can uh, see any of these, like we're going out here to look for these types of Bigfoot structures. So we did admittedly have a little bit of Bigfoot on the brain. Mm-hmm. I was up there by myself. Those guys weren't coming up until almost a full day later when they got off work and everything. And as I'm filming around, a couple things happened in this area. And this will kind of lead me into the tree, the tree arches. I kind of got my campsite set up and there was a little bit of rain before that. So the first thing that I was doing was I was trying to, I was just doing a little, I was just going to do some hammock camping and put like a tarp over a hammock and just kind of be hanging from the trees and whatever. I was, I was trying to get a fire going, even though it was kind of early afternoon, mainly to dry out some wood because I knew I'd want a fire up there because I knew I was going to be by myself up there for a while. All right. And context of this area too, besides the fact that it's beautiful, it's, it's primitive, it's forested, a lot of wildlife. It's also, it's rich with a lot of old history, a lot of, a lot of Native American history. It's rich throughout the entire state, but that whole area, there's all kinds of little massacre sites where there's skirmishes between the Apaches and the Paiutes and the, the whites, you know, the settlers and cattle rustlers. There's all these little canyons back there, you know, thieves gulch and devils, devils Canyon and all these other little areas, which right. you know, have some unique missing four one one tie-ins. But it's also only minutes away from kind of where the fire in the sky stuff took place with. Oh Travis. yeah. Yeah. So that's true. All, yeah. This is all in that same area. So I'm up there I'm bunching up a bunch of pine needles to dry those out. I'm starting to look for some wood and I'm just airing some stuff out. The clouds had broke. It was starting to dry out. I was just trying to dry out some kindling and some stuff so I could have a decent fire. And once that was done, I was like, all right, now I'm going to kind of scout this area out. I was really impressed on the, on the drive back to this fairly easy to get to, but still very remote area. I had crossed all kinds of elk when I was driving back there. there. I was spooking them out of all these little hollows on the little forest road that I was on, which was great. Really kind of confirmed my choice back there. Mm-hmm. And I started to go and kind of scout. I'm, a, I'm a, in kind of a bowl area, if you will. Um, and I'm about 200 yards away from camp. And I'm just kind of talking to myself. I'm filming myself being an idiot with my phone and just, you know, being like, okay, I'm going to see if we can find some Bigfoot stuff while we're out here. And, and while I'm walking kind of similar, this was before those things that were happening while I was in Maine, by the way, but, but I was starting to notice like, man, it got strangely quiet. The little buzzing flies and the birds and everything just stopped. Mm -hmm. And right around that same time, tucked back in some trees and I'm not on any trail. I'm like away from my campsite, just cross country. I see a little, a little kind of a, to a frame, but kind of a tripod of sort of little pyramidal, you know, kind of a, whatever you want to call it, like a cone, but it was about five or six feet tall, kind of a small structure that would have no practical purpose for anyone to build. Right. Um, and it was just there and it was just really weird, but it felt very weird in there. Not, I wasn't scared, but I was just like, man, it feels different. And I'm even saying this, you see me walk up on this thing and you hear me saying it. It's not some grand, impressive structure. I was just kind of struck by the fact that it just all of a sudden it was there in front of me, and I wasn't even necessarily looking for it. 
Well, around that same time, I was just like, okay, I was kind of more pre-scouting out the stuff that the next day we were going to go and start looking around um, these areas to see what we could find. So I'm walking back to the, so nothing happened really there other than it just felt unique. It felt different. It was really quiet. But as I'm leaving that area, I didn't get about 50 feet away from there. And I was looking for a good size, kind of a stick that I could kind of use to poke the fire, right? Um, Something that was solid enough that I could not walking stick size, maybe a little bit smaller. But a lot of it, you could, there was a lot of dead tree litter everywhere and a lot of it was waterlogged. So I was, I wasn't trying to do any tree knocks. I want to make that clear. Okay. Uh, but I did pick up a couple logs and, or little branches or whatever and was hitting a tree to see if they were rotten through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one that I picked up was rock solid and I hit a tree and I just hit it right. Again, I wasn't actively like, I'm going to do a tree knock. And this is three in the afternoon, but I hit it and it was loud like a tree knock. And immediately there were, it was like a maybe 100 yards away to my right, a giant tree got pushed over. Wow. Like I sort of just <laughs> kind of crashing down and make a big smash. And again, in the middle of the daytime, I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was an elk. I know there's some big ones up here, but I don't know what they're doing pushing down a tree. But I still, I was like, I, I didn't want to just jump there and say, that was Bigfoot. Right, uh, right. Like that. So I make my way back to camp. Fast forward a couple hours. I'm starting to make some food and it's starting to get dark a little bit. And I'm in a remote area, but at one point I knew again from just the planning that I did, there was, I was up on kind of a peninsula of land and all around me is this this Canyon. But I knew that there was one campsite, another half, maybe three quarters of a mile down this road that I was on. And that was the last one. There was no, that road terminated because then it went down into, you know, it dropped a hundred feet down into these, these canyons. I did see a family in a, like a, in a minivan drive by right before I started making food. And I was just like, okay, okay, hopefully they're not camping close. And and you could hear them driving for a while. So they weren't like nearby me or anything. Well, I start making the food and now it's starting to get dark, you know, and I'm like, okay, good. I've got plenty of wood. I made a giant wood pile so I could have firewood and everything else. Cause this was kind of when I really first, I had done some solo camping, but, but and this was about five years ago. This is the beginning of me doing a lot of solo camping. So I hear, all of a sudden I hear some gunfire, which is not uncommon. People are out here, it's legal to shoot, you know, if you're being responsible and stuff. And I can hear them, again, they're probably a half mile away. I can hear, I can hear gunshots going off, kind of echoing. And then it stops. And then I hear, and this is right, barely is it starting to get dark. I hear what I can only describe as three or four it was like if coyotes and monkeys had a baby and whatever sound that would make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was crazy because I could kind of hear this thing moving these things or whatever. I could, you'd hear them just, I don't even, almost hyena like just, just this crazy racket. And you could hear them kind of moving as they kind of yipped and they were making these sounds. It wasn't coyotes though. I've been around coyotes my entire life. It was not, coyotes mm-hmm. it's, it was something else and in the time that i heard that i'm fumbling around to get my phone to start recording those i can hear them running off and then i hear another volley of gunshots and then i hear them much further away from the first time the sound that they made not coming necessarily in my direction but just kind of moving away from that campsite that other campsite 
and, and by this point I'm, I'm videoing and you can still hear the gunshots and now you can hear a heavier caliber gun going off and then finally a shotgun blast goes off and I heard like one more little trailing sound of this of this thing kind of yipping no idea what that was was not coyotes we don't have wolves in that area and there's very few wolves in the state of arizona and they're far in the eastern state they're mexican gray wolves and they're a very small population Mm -hmm. no other animals are making sounds like that out there not like that you know it wasn't elk bugling or anything it was a very strange sound nothing else really happened that night i filmed that stuff you know of just hearing the gunshots and i think you can hear one final yip all right so the next day they get there. The night was uneventful. We wake up the next day and we're now going cross country back up to that area. And this is where we start getting up to, these weren't real, real hills, but we're starting to find some of these heavy concentrations, not at the highest point, but just off the highest point. And a number of these little kind of ridge tops that were going down into these canyons that we are eventually walking down into. And as we walked down into these areas, we started finding these game trails that were going down to some natural these draws where Arizona gets massive flash flood, monsoon rainstorms, especially up on the rim. Mm -hmm. And these canyons become primary water sources. And that's also where a lot of springs are. And and ultimately they all lead to some of the deeper ones. And and ultimately we've got a few reservoirs that are up on the rim and that's where they kind of all terminate. Anyways, we found these game trails on either side of these washes that were clearly elk game trail because you get to know the elk droppings are much bigger than deer. You can see clear sign of them. You can see their hoof prints. You can, you know, you're starting to see a lot of this stuff. And what we started to notice myself and my two nephews, which were filming a lot of this too, besides these crazy structures we're coming across, there was these trees, smaller pine trees arched um, across the game trail, like an mm-hmm. arch directly across the game trail and shoved into the ground. Mm-hmm. So, up on the rim, we've got some of those pines. You get dying pines all the time that will do their own tree bends, just yeah. naturally rotting, whatever, yeah. pine needles, all that other stuff. But these were shoved, these were still living, shoved into the ground, almost like, you know, like a giant croquet set, you know, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. You know where you're trying, to get, you're trying to funnel the ball through the croquet, whatever yeah. those are, or whatever. So it was like, that the game trail was was going right underneath these arches. And we found probably 15, maybe 20 of these over the course of like, I don't know, a mile, completely off of any, no people are back here, maybe other than Forest Service to go drop a salt lick back there for the elk. Mm-hmm. These, these are game trails. We were finding some pretty significant kind of uh, carcass of elk, you know, with bones that have been like, femur-sized bones. We, again, filmed some of this stuff. Femur-sized bones that were still heavy and dense that looked like they had been kind of cracked open, something to get to the marrow. There are black bear in the area, but they're skittish and they're small. They're not, they're, they're real mangy. This particular area, the black bears are, they're kind of like the coyotes of bears. They're just, they're real scrappy, mangy, or kind of scrawny little black bears. Mm-hmm. They potentially could be doing that. I don't know. Maybe some mountain lion up there or whatever. But it was interesting that we were just finding a lot of these uh, a lot of these tree arches. Fast forward to just even a few weeks or maybe a couple months ago before the holidays. All in the same area. I've been back to this area. I'm not a researcher. 
but this is probably the closest thing I have to, this is an area I frequent. I go because nobody else goes back there. I've got to know it very well and I've got to really spend time exploring around those areas. And I've had other people with me that have witnessed a lot of stuff and we've had a lot of crazy. We've had, we have, we've had all kinds of like a night full of whistling back and forth. We've got wood knocks. We've got rocks clacking. We've had stuff, small things thrown into camp, lots of tree branches breaking that you're hearing the thing. It's not just like a tree is falling or a branch is falling out of a tree. You're hearing something bend it, break. You're hearing it kind of splinter and crash, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all kind of in the same area. Still haven't had any sightings, but just a couple months ago, I finally had my first kind of samurai chatter situation and other people were there. So I had a bunch of my family up brothers and sisters and their kids and stuff. And it was like Jurassic park up there this one night. So we had, it was the beginning of the rut season. So we had elk bull elk that were bugling all night Um, and cow elk. You can, you can literally hear the difference between them, you know, as they're kind of one's calling and the other one's answering. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know what the rut, that's the beginning of the mating season, right? And that's when they're getting excited and they're, they're out there and, and it's just before the hunting season really kicks in and everything. So that's really active time. Not an uncommon thing. You can hear elk at night quite often up on the rim, but we were getting everything that night. Turkeys, uh, elk, um, coyotes, an 800 pound owl (laughs) or a, a not owl. In fact, I've got, some very poor quality audio of this and it's poor quality because it's like when somebody else in my family in an adjacent tent, you could hear them snoring. But what was happening was this not owl was hooting. And at the same time as it was ending, there was like a second something that was doing this weird goose kind of a squawk honk thing right at the end. So you hear the hoo, 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 hoo the kind of a thing <laughs> over and over again. And, and I actually got a recording of that, but that was the first night. And the second night we were there, the first night I also got whistles, but the second night I've had the whistles happen a lot, just kind of a monotone, you know, just one loud shrill whistle. It wasn't like a person whistling, like, you know, nothing like that. It was just one kind of one tone, real sharp, loud piercing whistle. And then one far off answering it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was going on back and forth and I got like three or four syllables of kind of a thing, you know, that wow. samurai chatter deal. And this was about one thirty in the morning, but yeah. So how, anyways, I, I mean, like, like long, uh, did, did you hear that as it happened or did you just get it on the tape? I absolutely heard it as it happened. Yeah. And in fact, it was when I was, uh, that first night and it was funny cause I had, I had two of my brothers up there and some of their wives and kids and, and a few of those guys have had some of the experiences with me and they're definitely open to the, to the stuff and they've heard stories and we talk about this stuff quite a bit. We're not diehard Bigfooters or anything like that, but we're, we love talking about it and, you know, sharing stories we've heard or, Hey, did you hear that? Did you hear that one interview or that one eyewitness account of such and such, you know, and we share those stories. Those guys were up there. And that first night I was like, please tell me that you guys heard the whistling. My one brother said, no, he goes, I was sleeping with earplugs, but, but his wife wasn't, he's like, wake her up. <laughs> he's like, if it happens again tonight, wake her up and she'll wake me up. And I'm like, okay. I, I, 
we'll try that. But my other brother said he, he didn't hear the whistling or the samurai chatter, but he heard a big tree break in the middle of the night that I didn't hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second, so the first night I heard the samurai chatter and the whistles, my brother heard the tree break. He did not hear the whistles or the samurai chatter. The next night I did get my sister-in-law to wake her husband, my brother up and everybody heard the owls, the, the not owl and the whistles. Yeah. Uh, my parents were in on that too. My parents, they're old, but they, they wanted to come up there. They were like, we got to go camping with the family. And, and they got freaked out because we had a entire pack of coyotes just erupt right around our campsite, which was really strange. It was just a really high concentration. You get bits and pieces of that over the course of different outings mm-hmm. at it all in one night. I mean, we had, it was, it was like a zoo and it was all night. How long did the samurai chatter go on for? The, I only heard one, that one instance. So the whistling had been going on for about 20 minutes. I woke up since I've been solo camping a lot. It's very frequent that kind of in the middle of the night I'll stir and I kind of force myself awake and I'll sit there and listen. Mm-hmm. And I'll just, and a lot of times I think I maybe had stirring because I've heard something. Well, I was, I woke up to the whistling and I was listening to the whistling for about 20, 15, 20 minutes. And that's when I heard it. And I just heard the one thing. It was about three, four syllables. Just, wow. It was the whistle. So you hear an answer, you know, another hundred yards away, the other direction. And then partway through, there was a whistle. And then you, you kind of did the little, you know, wow. the Tasmanian devil sound. So whistles, huffs, even howls and, just being on on the skeptical side of things, you know, like maybe they could be something else, and and we're not recognizing them. That's um, yeah. I don't I don't believe that. I think you know, often you can tell the difference when you're out there between something natural and 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 something other. But let's say we're mistaken. That what could that? There's nothing that makes a samurai chatter noise. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing in nature that makes that noise. Well, and that owl sound was completely off. Right. We, we have barn owls. We have great horned owls. We hear them. I've got great horned owls right now. I can go out in my backyard on power towers not, not far from here. I, I live right on the edge of the desert. I know exactly what those sound like. This was deeper. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was flawed a few times. It was right. Like, the voice cracked a little bit on one of them. Like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, the squawk, that could have been something. The, there is a bir- There are bird sounds, and there are some birds that will do some sounds at night, and I've heard those in that area. These are distinctly different. This sounds like I can't do the loud whistle thing with my fingers like some people can, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not talented with that, but the, it almost sounds like that, right? Yeah. It's very yeah. distinctive a way. It sounds like something with lips. Mm-hmm. That's a shrill whistle, not a bird with a voice box, you know. Right, right, yeah, and and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm just sort of playing the the devil's advocate, or as I say, I put on the skeptic hat, which doesn't fit me very well. But you know, yeah. I absolutely trust that all those other sounds were what you say they were. I mean, I've I've heard at least some of them or some things like them, but but I've not heard the samurai chatter. But there's nothing else. Like you cannot say that was anything else. <laughs> Well, and you know, that's a, you bring a good point and I really do try to wear a skeptic's hat where I can. I mean, I'm very open obviously to the idea of Bigfoot and a lot of other unexplained stuff and, and some of these cryptid things. But, but I think, you know, since that first time and, and, and many times going out in all these other places where I've found stuff, 
I don't know. I wouldn't say I've become desensitized to it, but I, the, some of the wow factor has somewhat um, dulled a little bit to the point, I think in a healthy way that makes me think first, try to explain, try to debunk it first mm-hmm. and, and don't rule out the fact that it can't be something natural. Right. Right. So, so I really try to keep that mindset and it's not, you know, initially the first few times I heard this stuff, yeah, I was giddy, right? When I was really paying attention, I probably heard this stuff a lot that I never paid attention to before. Mm-hmm. I've grown up camping in all these same areas, you know, but yeah, you bring up a good point. And I think everybody should, I think everybody should keep a, a skeptic hat handy, you know, just, you know, just to challenge themselves, just to be like, Hey, you know, be open to the idea and not to rule that out. So I fully appreciate people being like, could it have been something else? Right. 100% have been something else. Uh, I didn't see it. I didn't film it. I don't have it documented. You know, I didn't do any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely open to being wrong on all of these. But there's enough consistency to your point, you know, and, and being in there in the moment mm-hmm. and trying to take out some of that giddiness. I, you know, try to make right. a judgment call and say, hey, this stuff is pretty legitimate. If you have a puppy and you need help training your puppy, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. They have a relationship-based approach to training that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy has online sources with video lessons, a secret Facebook group where you can interact with other puppy owners. Maybe they're having the same problems you have and maybe they've had a creative solution that they can share with you. And of course, one-on-one options are available. You can find 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Let 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy help you understand how your dog thinks, which is not how you think, and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. That's 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. All right, before we get to our not photo of the week, (laughs) (laughs) we have some thank yous. I want to thank Adam K. from Sweden. I want to thank Craig P. and family for their donation. I want to thank screen name Nagatha, not her real name, but that's the name she uses on screen. She held another raffle for us. Thank you so much. And I do have a note. Jennifer K., ordered some original art and a stonebreath CD from Etsy from us. The address that she gave, Etsy will not let me ship to. It's an incomplete address. So Jennifer Kay from West Virginia, if you hear this, get in contact with us. I messaged you via Etsy, but I don't know if it didn't go through or what. We need your address so we can send you your artwork and your stonebreath CD. And thank you very much. Album filler. <laughs> Am I correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a CDV-sized image. They weren't always photographs. Yeah, a lot of times it's illustrations, which is what this filler is. These would be sold to people literally to fill up their photo albums? Yeah, when you get tired of your same boring family and you want to spice it up with, like, say, it could be anything from, like, an actor or actress to, like, a, there's a lot of biblical subjects. Portraits of presidents. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of historical. And then... Just sort of common nursery themes or sort of 
moralizing tales that have characters that you might recognize. But Occasional this, comedic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you felt like filling up your album with, besides your boring family. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little girl. She's very sad because she's broken her, and I don't know whether that's Punch or Judy. I think that's Punch. I think it's it? Punch, yeah. So if you're familiar with the puppet shows of old with Punch and Judy, uh, this is like a broken Punch doll that she's holding. I thought I'd choose it tonight because it's a sort of a precursor to an upcoming show that I've that you're working on. That now. I'm working on. Interesting. So while it's not a photo, it's sort of photo adjacent. So yeah, it, yeah, it, and it's certainly meant to go with photos. It's a whole nother place to collect, and it's, I think it's a great collecting area because they're pretty inexpensive. People thought of them as more, you know, ephemeral than mm-hmm. they weren't really supposed to be something that lasted as long as a family photo might, but I really like them, and I particularly like grumpy children. And <laughs> I've seen some really cool album filler yeah. that has passed through your collection here and there. So it's CDV-sized. It's mm-hmm. meant to go in. To an album that would accommodate cartes de visite. Well, go ahead and put an image of this in the show notes under this episode. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can buy this and other photos of the week. While you're on Etsy, our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should come up. You can check out our other items that we have for sale, including all of my books. All of my books are in stock and ready to ship. So if you order them, there's no waiting. Any books you get from our Etsy shop will come signed by me. So we got all my books, we've got some original art in there yet, other photos of the week. We've got t-shirts, more t-shirts on the way. We'll get restocks of the Strange Familiar shirts very soon. The Bigfoot thank you cards, which sold out immediately. They should be back in stock either later this week or next week, and lots more besides. Again, it's Etsy shop name Lost Grave. It's one word, but if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. While you're on Etsy, make sure to check out Chad's shop. Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. He's got all manner of one-of-a-kind items. Sometimes he has some wool stuff. Sometimes he doesn't because he sells out pretty frequently. They have knives. They've got ferro rods and other stuff like that. Go ahead and check them out. Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. And of course, Karmic Garden, our friends with the Strange Familiars, Flannel Man, and many, many other scents of soaps and scented candles and much, much more. Check them out the one word karmic garden but again i think if you type in strange familiars they come up as well because they have the strange familiar scent that's it for this week we will be back soon with another episode of strange familiars part two of mike's story coming next week strange familiars is a production of dark color arts music books art podcasts and more Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stonebreath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com.
How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.